Welcome back to another episode of the NES Experience. Thanks for tuning in and listening to our podcast. This week we're going to be talking about some of the, uh, I guess, different aspects of running a sports performance training facility. And we're going to be talking about working for yourself and working for the man and what Ned feels on both things. Ned's had some interesting entrepreneurial experience throughout his life and even earned the nickname Bargain Nettie as a kid. So, Ned, when did you, uh, you get your ideas for business? Well, first of all, I come from a um, self-employment family. So my father's a chiropractor, uh, and he was self-employed relatively quick. And I don't know, maybe it's in my genes, but the early years... Uh, I mean, really work started for me at four and five and it was go pick up sticks. You get a penny a stick. Uh, the quick math on that is you're basically out there for like three hours and you get paid like, you know, four bucks. So it was it was a hard labor job. Somebody had to do it. And that was me because that was my only options. So basically I did chores and got paid pennies on the dollar. Jeez, that sounds like fun. So what was your next job after picking up sticks? So we would go to Valparaiso and Maraville, which is about 20, 30 minutes away. And I would go to the CVS and I saw that they had discounted clearance section candy. I'm like, oh, what is all this about? So basically I would buy the discounted candy and then I would go back to school and I became bargain netty. And I would sell the candy because I got it cheaper than everybody else could get it. And I would mark it up a little bit, uh, a little bit under, you know, what they would sell it for in the school. And I basically hustled and sold candy and then figured out that, uh, that I could make money doing that. So it was basically, I wasn't working as hard. Uh, it was an indoor job, climate controlled, depending on the school and the season. So I went to Pine Elementary School, which there was no air. So, but still way better gig than like shoveling for two hours for a couple bucks or picking up sticks or digging garbage pits, which I'm not going to go into. Um, but that was the worst job. Late elementary school, middle school, seventh grade. I started selling baseball cards. I had an album. I had the gun printing out prices um, and I would sell baseball cards to basically, you know, the seventh and middle school, the whole school. So I was known as Bargainetti continued middle school. I had <clears throat> security. So I had people, if, you know, you had to make sure people pay their bills and I had a clean record. So I wasn't about to have to be the, the muscle to make sure that the kids paid. So I had you know, some selective uh, guys who and I paid them through giving them cards and they threatened the kids if they tried to not pay me the money. So I then eighth grade is when I started working for the man, Canterbury Theater. I was an usher. So did that at 13 and by 14 I was scrubbing weeds and or scrubbing the cracks out of weeds doing shitty lawn maintenance Fully working for the man, getting the getting the taxes ripped out, making three fifty an hour. I know when I was a kid, I uh, well not really a kid. I was about sixteen, seventeen. Uh, I had two jobs where I was, I guess, working for the man. I split 
uh, wood, you know, like uh, firewood for a pizza place in uh, in my hometown. So, I mean, what we're going to talk about is my take. So, when you look at working for someone, one of the most beneficial things about it is you learn a ton. Like, I learned a lot. I worked for people from the ages of 12 to 33-ish. And in 20 years, you learn whether it's in your field, not in your field, doesn't matter. Having a job, it transfers over to a whole bunch in the real life. Um, And, you know, part of the 12 to 33 was, I mean, 22 to 33 was learning more about my specialized career. So it's, you know, it goes from like general to specific, but you learn so much. You meet mentors along the way. Because as much as people like to think that they have it all figured out, you don't. You think you're real smart. Like, I thought I was real smart at 21. And what I learned is I was really smart at 42. I, I was above average. I missed a lot. But if you haven't experienced a lot, then you don't know what you're missing. Um, you know, in the working for somebody... You generally have a boss. You got to learn how to resolve conflict and and deal with, you know, bosses. The, the I mean, people complain about their bosses all the time. Everybody hates their boss. Um, it's hard to be a boss because I've been a boss. But part of the whole working for somebody process is you learn how to be a boss. You learn how to treat people or not treat people and how to hopefully manage people differently so not managing equal and having the same set of rules for everybody is something that you know i didn't do there's you have to have a different style depending on the personality so there's an art and there's a science to being a great manager um now whether you say i was a good or a bad manager that would depend on who you talk to if you talk to most of the people that i manage they would say that I I'm pretty good, and for that, it I go back to how many people that used to be my employees that I still have relationships with because it's hard to keep relationships with everybody. Um, but if you talk to some select people, I've been this has been quoted: "Ned, you are the greatest coach ever, and you are the worst manager ever." It was basically put like that, and it's like, well, nobody likes you. I'm a player's coach, so. The end result of player being a player's coach, I always cost the owners more money. And who wants to have more costs in a business? And especially most of my working years have been in a recession. Like the if this was the 80s, I would be making 10 times the amount of money than now. But it's not an excuse and it's fine. But it's even more difficult. Like 2009, that's when Velocity closed and Trumbull. Um, for the four years that I was there, when I moved here, I had no clue. I was like... I'm going to be good. I'm going to work hard and build up, build up in a business, build or work my way up in the business and then eventually take it over and take over the world. But, you know, that situation, the place lost $2 million. It wasn't the quality of the product. It was a broken business model. Um, it was too many, too much square footage, too many people in the organizational chart. Um, there's a bunch of dead weight making salaries, those people working for the man and abusing the system and it was just a complete train wreck but the amount you lose you learn more when you lose 
that's the the key to learning the most is going through you know losing and when i started in this field what i was able to see from the ages of 24 to whatever 32 was how to lose and what not to do so i learned you know the benefit of working for the man i'm i was able to watch and have somebody else spend their money i could sit back there and not have the risk and continue to be able to pay be paid a paycheck and have a career on someone else's dime and that is super valuable because when i opened up my own business eight or nine years ago i had the blueprint of everything not to do and everything to do um and i didn't have to pay a penny for it that's a pretty good deal and that is why i'm one of the biggest advocates of working for someone first is you get to see everything that doesn't work the minute that you llc and be your own business if the shit doesn't work you're going to lose money you're going to go out of business and seeing what not to do and in essence was gave me the foundation to be able to create a business that's not going to fail and that has continued to grow year after year ever since 2014. I've never had a down year. If you put if you plant NES on the spreadsheet, it is going it has gone north for eight years in a row. Um, and that's a hard thing to do, especially we all know that business you know when opening up a new business, 18 months, there's a good percentage of businesses that don't make it 18 months. So along that path, learning how to talk to people, you know, this goes back to the me throwing I'm old thing out, but people, kids don't know how to talk to people. Everybody spends all their time on their phones. I'll have, I have kids in my groups where they spend 80% of the time talking on their phones. It's like lifting and going back to the phone, lifting, going back to the phone. There's no interaction. Well, I have to interact with these people because part of it is my disorder, but I'm only as comfortable is the most comfortable person in the room. And if I have somebody that's super quiet and uncomfortable, guess what? Guess who needs to talk to them? Me. I have to talk to them because part of my job is, yes, train and develop athletes, but train and develop humans and teach them, you know, the fundamental concepts of human interaction. That is something that I have, that is part of my job description now. So interpersonal skills, the way that you learn how to talk to people and interact is working for somebody. Typically, they have an expectation and a level of customer service, although we don't see it at Target or Dunkin' Donuts. I go through Dunkin' Donuts. I've had weird conversations where I tell them my order and then we don't talk for the rest. There's no like, all right, rippity-roo, come on through. Or I get to the window, I hold my phone up, they scan it with the gun it is literally after the order, it's a silent transaction. Where's my fucking have a nice day? Like, I'm old school. Everybody that came in, welcome to Reebok. Thank you for shopping. Like, I don't know, this natural human greeting and, and is just gone now. So interpersonal skills are huge. Until we get to the point where everybody's on their phone. I mean, can... 100 million 25-year-olds all work from home on their phone and be an influencer? Is it just going to be everybody sitting at home watching everybody else's life? Or is there always going to be a need for human interaction? Tay, answer that question. I think there's always going to be a need for human interaction. But like you said with Dunkin' Donuts, I've had 
interactions at Dunkin' Donuts that have led to me throwing myself out of that building. Sometimes they they have no interpersonal skills. It is it is just a, a horrific experience when they tell you your coffee's ready and you're just like, oh, awesome, put it in my hand. And they say, oh, well, we still have to make it. Well, what the fuck does that? That's not ready. That How do you mess that up? How uh, What communication skills are you lacking where you tell me something is ready and then you say, well, we have to make it? That I, I don't understand. But if, if you lack interpersonal skills, then you need to be really good at conflict resolution, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, conflict resolution. You have to learn to... Find things that you don't like about people. Understand that you're both different and you have different views and learn how to get along with that person. That's pretty important is to be able to get along with people despite the fact that they're different. Um, teamwork, how to work towards a common goal. I mean, unless you are the self-employed accountant who never has to ever have anybody else in the building, generally you need to figure out how to get along and work as a team this is why i like to hire athletes they get you understand about teamwork and how gratifying yet frustrating it could be you know that is something security you get security with this whole thing you always get a paycheck so you can be like eh had a hard sunday at the super bowl it's monday i mean what do they really expect anyways we shouldn't even be open on monday so you could kind of just be a degenerate you don't understand security until you go from, you know, having a guaranteed check every whatever to completely relying on your great ideas and your product for people to buy into, pay your bills. And that's when you feel the lack of security or like I was a personal trainer um, multiple times for multiple places and they were basically commissioned. So if you're a commission guy, sales jobs, similar thing. And I got paid a low base salary and then everything was off training. And then you get a whole bunch of people and you start training, but you don't know the business and you don't understand the seasonality of the business. I'm living like a rock star buying rounds at the bar. Like, dude, I'm making all this money cause I was making a whole bunch of money, but I didn't understand that you're only making money until you're not <laughs> and then seasonality hit and then i figured this person would be locked in for five years and now they want to cancel well now i got to find somebody new so you you know part of working for some what you, the tough thing is when you flip make that flip over and i had a taste but there's this whole budgeting thing and I was living like a rock star when I was, you know, closing deals and training a million people and hustling. And then, but that I was still trying to live like a rock star when my clientele had a dip in it and that didn't work. That's just credit card debt and degenerateness. So, um, this goes back to the security of, you don't have to deal with that shit. Like I've also been a salaried trainer and when business was in the performance business, there's a lot of seasonality. And I would remember in April there, I'm like, damn, there's six people in here and they got like a $40,000 payroll to cover. And I'm just chilling, train. My job is to train people. So I'm just training these six people, boy, light, easy day. And, and the guy ended up losing, was losing. He lost 50,000 that month. Um, and I got my, 
whatever, my $30,000 salary shit, whatever that is, for a two-week period. Um, so he went minus 50. I went fuck, I went plus 2,500. I'm down. That I made out in that, but when we go over later, we're going to talk about how long-term that shit didn't play for me. But I've just found that your business will be more likely to succeed if you work for someone first. You learn what to do and you learn what not to do. So you're setting, you're going to set yourself up for more success long term if you've seen all the ins and outs of, you know, working for somebody. Yeah, you you either win or you learn is usually the saying. Uh, when you're working for someone else, it's easier to, to learn, I think, because you don't have to bear the entire responsibility of, of exactly like what you said. That guy lost what, half a million you said 500,000? He lost 2 million in 4 years. Well, maybe he should have done a better job managing and doing and knowing looking into the unproven business business model that he did. But yes, he uh I mean, he you know who learns a lot. You know who learned more than a lot more than me is the guy that lost the 2 million. He he learned a whole bunch. He learned not to not to go into the sports performance field as a business because it's uh, it's tough. So the other thing too is you know a lot of the times if you just worked for someone else for a little bit longer, you found uh, a place to you know pick up some more information before you went on your own. That's why they used to have apprenticeships, and they still do for for a lot of professions because you need that that mentor apprentice relationship so you can figure out what to do you don't want to just kind of go in you know into the deep end feet first and then try and just act like you know what's going on you 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 lose really quickly that way yeah now i gotta talk about why i thought it stunk um others may determine your success so there's too much um, i got this team at the various places that i was at and it was just like the guy that shouldn't have a job, but he has a job because he's best friends with the owner. The guy that shouldn't have a job. It's just, there's the politics behind everything. Um, I was in the positions where there was, I was one of X amount of coaches. I worked harder. You know, you had the the guys that were kind of just trying to collect a paycheck or they were, they were, they, you know, they didn't have the passion. They didn't care about delivering the product. Um, I was at at one of this this one of the unnamed. This was the one that lost all the money. So I got to the point where I started doing private clients. So I had my three to seven block where I trained the groups, and then I, because of the unproven business model, we had to make all of this money. So basically, I started taking. We're in Fairfield County. I learned the skills of how to talk to people. I had a mentor that educated me on his sales process. I, I started developing all of these skills for working for people. And, and then I was able to transfer that over. Cause when I was at IMG, I was a coaching machine, real simple, man, get your ass up at six in the morning and coach hundreds of kids every single day for 60 to 80 hours a week and repeat until you're burned out and you got to go. Um, when I came into a private sector facility where people paid for training, like IMG, it's just, you know, the kid, you, these magical people just drop in and pay a boatload of money. Your job is to get them better. 
I didn't know the sales and marketing and operations and all the back end stuff and business management. I didn't have any of these tools. And then I was fortunate enough to work for somebody that was able to kind of have me start reading these books and learning about leadership and management and sales. So I was doing these private deals and I, I kept a spreadsheet. I finally got to the point where I got paid and eye popping two and a half percent on top of my base salary. I created this position and this way to make more money within working for the man. So I got a small percentage and I was, I did in a 12 month period somewhere around like 120 grand or something. So just in doing that private training, I was 4X on my salary which wasn't even my regular job minus the two and a half percent, which was just peanuts. Um, and at the same time, I got dudes that are making, you know, the two, cause think about it. Yes, I'm getting, I'm getting two and a half percent, but I'm coaching more hours of the day. I mean, what I was able to do is <clears throat> I was able to get out of the group training and I was filling my sky. I'm like, all right, well, I can't coach this group because I got a private, can't coach this group. I at that point in time I really liked private training. So I basically was able to make it to where all I did was private training. But point being, there's other guys just barely working, not doing a good job at retaining people and whatever. I'm holding everybody's dicks. And I'm getting paid a couple grand more than they are. And I'm the one, I would do all this hustling, and we get to the end of the month, the, the 30 days we do the thing, maybe break even. Like I generated nine, ten thousand dollars just in privates this month. How are we breaking even? Because I was holding everybody else's dick, and the sales guy wasn't closing deals, and the other coaches weren't doing a great job, as good of a job as they should, to bring in more business. And there was just not a. I mean, we're breaking even because a broken business model and a whole bunch of people not doing their job. So why am I working my ass off and making the same amount of money? Um for all the extra time and the more skills that I had, I eventually got promoted to a director, but that guy was making, I I was making, you know, 60% of what he was making, but they were able to do that because I was young and hungry. I became the youngest director of the franchise that I was working for at the age of whatever, 27. And I was just looking for the opportunity. Um, But the whole thing, it's just like, you know, I was, it wasn't the amount of money that we were making. It was that I always had to work harder than everybody else. And in the beginning, get treated the same until I understood that I was a linchpin within the organization. The The person that brings in the most money in the organization gets the keys of the car. So I was like, and I'm not coming in until 11. And I'm not coaching that group. And, you know, I just started... You know, if you ain't going to pay me more, you got to give me some more perks and be more lenient. It's like, I don't even want to talk. I mean, I got to the point where the owner, I didn't want to deal with. I'm like, and I'm not dealing with him anymore. I'm like, if he was a mildly rich person that I can't relate with, he wasn't a very good people person. And, and real talk, he said to the, uh, the GM at the time, he's like, Man, Ned, this is the guy that I'm hustling for making thousands of dollars. He's, I don't understand how somebody w- would like a bald guy that listens to loud rap music with an earring. Because I had an earring. I had a hoop earring because that was cool back in 2005. 
And I'm the one that was keeping this a bit major part of trying to keep this train wreck a, a support. He could not understand the concept how anyone could like me because I wasn't a silver spoon prep school, bougie, complete, not in touch with reality human like him. I was just me. That's how I learned to be what I learned to be part of the things I learned on the journey for working for somebody is you got to be yourself. And what I am is, is what he said, minus the earring now. But, um, when you try and be some, he always tried to be somebody different. He was, and, or maybe that's who he was, but nobody liked that dude. Had a lot of bad managers, had very few good managers. Everybody can relate with how toxic bad management can be. But when you look at now, you say anything to anybody and you're a bad manager because people are oversensitive. Anyways, that whole thing ended because the place closed. And then I went on to my next business venture um, and continued to work for the man in a little bit different way. But uh, part of the reason why I'm self-employed is I hate authority and I hate people fucking telling me what to do. Like, I'd rather work twice as hard and not have people tell me what to do than work at one consistent level and get told what to do. So... The management was better when I switched over to my next place because I had I was managed less. So for me, the best way to manage me is don't manage me and let me go. The more freedom that I have, the harder I'm going to work. Another thing, so this is there was a transition period where I did, you know, I started doing consulting for performance facilities. I would go in and change their operations and their marketing and their sales and I would put in the NES system. They were able to use their own name of the business, but it was an NES system. And basically bringing in a replicated system of proven results to where if it worked well, you know, they could franchise and open multiples. Um, when I started going through that process, what I learned is, so at that point in time, I was working, I was self-employed. I was a consultant and working for myself. And I got paid from these individual businesses for you know, my expertise to basically flip them into profitable businesses. So I was able to, I saw 2 million, blah, 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 carry the one, saw about $3 million lost in, in my working for the man. And then finally towards the tail end figured out, and then you saw the growth chart work. I figured out the system. I figured out how to make money. And then my last tail end couple years, the businesses that I was working for became profitable. And then when they became profitable, that's when I was eliminated. So when I stepped into the consulting realm and I'm evaluating these businesses and why they're not successful, one of the businesses, they it was because of they were greedy and unethical. So you, this family came in and they were already being charged more because they were from a richer town. Uh, they were being billed $500 each a month. So that's $1,000 a month for these two sisters to train. And what they were doing is in this, you know, franchise slash business, part of the thing was you sign a contract. And what the contract says is, you know, you're going to do training for these three months and then when you're due to go back to your sport, all you got to do is call us and fill this paperwork out and send it back and we freeze your account. And of course, we charge them to freeze their account. But why do they need to freeze their account? They're not doing anything. They don't cost anything. But we had to do that because we had to get the EFTs as high as they could. 
and you put it on freeze and then when they get done with their sport so they tell you when you're they're done with their sport which is whatever in this situation it was a nine month out of the year so they were only going to turn supposed to train for three months and then they're going to be gone for nine months and we get through this whole thing and they go through the three months and then i'm looking at the spreadsheet and it's like boom a and b got billed and then i'm like all right well Maybe I don't know the back end. Maybe they're coming back. And I look at the spreadsheet again. They're being billed. And then I went to the bookkeeper and I said, hey, I think there's a mistake. The They think they're overbilled. I haven't seen them in a month and a half. And then they're like, oh, no, no. We're, I talked to Brian. They're supposed to be billed. I'm like, okay, well, maybe they owed money. This thing goes on. We're nine months deep. And we were on month 10. And this guy billed that family $1,000 a month for the next nine months. And I said, I'm like, all right, well, this is a fun closed door meeting. And I go in with the owner. I'm like, look, dude, I'm like, you're not going to build your business. I said, what are you going to do when they call? He's like, they didn't sign. They didn't call in and tell me we're free. I'm like, maybe you could take the hint that they haven't come in for two months that they're in their end season. I'm like, you can't build these people. Keep building these people over and over and over. What are you going to do when the, you're taking advantage of the fact that they're not looking at their credit card statement? What are you going to do in nine months when they when the guy says, hey, haven't been here in nine months. You're going to give them a $9,000 refund? He's like, oh, I'll give them $9,000 credit. I'm like, dude, they're seniors in high school and they aren't playing college sports. What are you giving them credit for? Oh, the dad can do the adult program. Okay, you're gonna give them a, I'll give them a lifetime membership for the adult program. Damn well knowing he wasn't even going to be in business. So I saw this a little bit for a lot, some of the other organizations that I did, but this guy was the king. I'm like, you're a bastard, and this is the reason why nobody wants to give a credit card out because you do, you're pulling shit like this. I said... You're going to have to give them a refund or these kids are going to be eternally in this building. Then you're going to fill, you're filling all your groups up with all of these people, with these lifetime memberships that you've overbuilt. And of course, what happens four months later, I'm looking at this at the bottom line for the month and we were, we're like breaking even. I'm like, how are we breaking even when we're at capacity and we have 120 kids running through here? Because 60 of them aren't paying because 60 of them were overbilled thousands of dollars. So now it's affecting other months because all of you have you're at capacity and you can't take in more people because there's limits to how many people you can have in a group. And now we can't take in new business because these people are burning off all your over overpaid. And what do you think the solution was to this day for this fucking genius? Probably. I mean, this guy sounds like he just loves giving out credit. So I'd say, you know, the solution is, hey, just we'll, we'll comp you for the next few months. No, the answer is he's like, we're going to put more people in the group. So I'm um, like, I mean, this was such a big thing. I basically made him. I got them off billing, by the way. This family, you're welcome. Sorry that you lost nine grand, but you might have gotten banged for like 50 grand if this maniac uh, didn't stop doing what he's doing. So the end result, he, so I walk in, you know, a couple weeks later, I'm like, why is there fucking 28 people in this group? <laughs> yeah. Brian just signed up, you know, blank and blank, whatever. And that's 10 P I'm like, our limit in a group is, and this, we had larger groups. So the limit was 16 because we had two full-time coaches. It was an eight to one coach to athlete ratio. 
And I'm and then the coaches are bitching because the facility can't support 28 people at a time, and the quality of product is going down because you can't watch 28 people move around, and and it it was just this continuous bullshit of unethical greed nonsense. The things that you do to make a quick buck bite you in the ass years later. But I'm not going to talk about. <clears throat> the downfall of that place. So that kind of covers a whole bunch about, you know, working for people and what you could learn. Self-employment. That's where we're at next. Done working for the man. Um, so positives, you're your own boss. I mean, everybody wants loves to be their own boss. You kind of your own boss, but really, you're not. You're almost the boss of other people because now I don't have any management or anybody ownership telling me what to do, but my clientele kind of, they dictate some things. For instance, you get your own schedule. That sound good? Own schedule. All right. Hold on. Let me, let me piss in those Cheerios now. In my particular business, you don't have your own schedule because I train athletes and athletes can't train until 3.30. And so I can't do anything except for the college and the pro guys in the morning, which means my work day, I want to work six to two. Well, you can't train athletes then, or you can only train pro athletes. That ain't going to happen or adults. So I don't get to pick my own schedule. Uh, I get the, how does this sound? 3.30 to seven. Well, the problem is I have kids. I spend my life training kids, which means I spend most of my life I can't say that. You got weekends and I get home. I've been able, you're self-employed, you get to make your own schedule. I have gotten to the point now that my kids are six and eight that I just, I used to do 7.30 to nine. Did you ever do the 7.30 to nine group? I did. Fucking brutal. And then you play ultimate ball. We would play ultimate ball for an hour after. I'm coming home at 10.30. I got parents calling the kids like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? What? <laughs> it's 10 o'clock at night and it's a Thursday night and you have school? Oh, yeah, I was leaving Ned's and we were playing Ultimate Ball. Got to get that cardio in. And we did get the cardio in a whole bunch. But point being, so I was, there you go. I'm working for myself. I'm working at fucking 10 o'clock at night. Now, I didn't have kids, so it was my wife, me just being like, yep, home at 10. She kind of knew that. So that's just something to look at. Um, you're your own boss, but you kind of get bossed around with, you know, some things. Um, what I love about it is, you know, you're smart and you can make it. And, you know, I always said it's, I told you I was holding everybody's dicks. I was overworked, underpaid, all those complaints. Well, you get to determine if you're going to be, you know, you determine your own success and failure. When I was working for the man, I couldn't control that because there was too many external factors, ownership, management, and fellow employees. Um, but now that I work for myself, I get to determine, you know, ultimately my success because I'm the owner. I'm the CEO. I like people that have businesses that haven't made a penny, but they call themselves the CEO. I guess they do that to make them sound like really fancy. Um, when I switched off on my own, I have the highest product quality. I'm OCD, attention to detail, you know that. I mean, I will put my staff of five coaches at that time when they weren't burned out and when they're locked in and fresh, I will put them against any five in the United States. Uh, bold statement, but 
they all got fucking burned out and you know the quality of the product slipped and you know passion you know is is what keeps you going at nine o'clock at night on a thursday when you've been working since 8 a.m you know and the drive you determine i i got the keys of the car so i get i've worked my ass off for eight years and the benefit of that is my spreadsheet shows growth every single year for eight years um or but with that being you know we were talking about security and the first part more risk if you aren't ned and if you didn't do all the steps that you needed to do you know you could also make less money you could work hard and make no money you can work your ass off and and lose money and then go out of business and then have to work for the man again it's you get to do things how you want it you get to i'm i'm able to run my business ethical as shit i pride myself and in eight years i've only overbilled one person one time where that old business he overbilled you know 12 people a month and then he actually got to the point where he would if he needed to make his numbers better he would go into the freezed accounts and mistakenly bill them so if they called and said hey i'm on freeze you build me he would refund them if he billed the frozen account and they didn't call him and they didn't call and complain free money follow me bill and you know your ability i can do exactly what i want i have i now cap seasonally so i only take in so many athletes a season um i am able to now not work as late so i could always be home for my kids but i mean in 23 years yes i figured out how to generate enough revenue to where i don't have to physically be in a box for 10 hours a day to be able to manage you know my family life but my upside is capped because because i only take in so many people i'm not you know, I'm not projected to be a multi-millionaire in the next five years, but that's okay because my motivating factor of doing this whole thing is not money. I like the opportunity to be able to make more money if I want and need, and that I take home more of what I do and all the time that I invest, I get a return and then flexibility. So I have, as I said, I have kids now, so I can maneuver the schedule and I have more time if, you know, Lexi pisses her pants uh, I can, you know, zippity zip on over to Norton and drop them off. Um, or if there's a sick day, you know, I, you know, they could at least be with me for the day. And, and there are, I don't know if I've sold the self-employment thing as a great thing or not, but I mean, I guess that's why I got to go over the negatives. So for negatives, um, I really covered them all. You work more than you did <clears throat> than you did when you were self-employed. You're basically signing yourself up. If you're going to succeed and not go out of business, you are going to work 60 hours a week. So I did my normal shift. I've worked Monday through Saturday. And then I had things going on Saturday. And then Sunday, it was, you know, prep for my next week because you have to be organized and you have to have a schedule and people have to know when they're coming in. So I started with that. And then. We did our pot. No, we then I went to the girls' Hamden Hall state championship game. <clears throat> now, this is where some people don't understand that this is work. For instance, my wife doesn't really look at me going to the game as work. And the answer is it is work. Now, is it better work than maybe your work? Yes. Uh, but it's work because 
actually was put to work. So the reason why it's great to be self-employed is they played 40 minutes the whole year with only six girls and they won a stage and they won a new England championship. And I don't know if I told you this, but there's four minutes left in the game. Um, one of my girls, Emma goes down with an apparent injury, but we didn't know what it was. And then I'm sitting there. I wasn't, I wasn't on the court or you know, with the girls. I was in the front row in the stands. And then all of a sudden I hear Ned and they, and they're everyone screaming my name. I'm like, Oh, this is super weird. So I had to get up and I jogged the length of the court and then went under the little velvet rope and then went over there and one of the girls was cramping. And one of my job responsibilities for Hamden Hall football is I'm the director of cramping um, because I've done, as you know, I've done a ton of research on cramping and I have created the NES system of how the hell to get a cramp to go away, stay away and be able to go and compete as soon as possible. So there's four minutes left and we only had, so now we only had five girls, so, and I believe Bacon was in foul trouble, so I'm basically trying to prep and get this kid ready again. I'm not the athletic trainer, uh, I'm, but this sure is work. I was sweating and fucking nervous, because I'm like, the fuck, because we're up now four points, and we're four minutes away from winning a chip, and we need this girl to get back out there, and the end result was we got her calf ready, she went back out there, and then they won the game, and everything was great. Um, but what it was, was it was my day from three o'clock till seven o'clock because it was at Loomis Chaffee, which I don't even remember what city that's in. Um, but so the great, the great news is I was literally able to watch these six girls who work their ass off went to win a state championship. And I believe I was involved in that process to some capacity. I'm happy and I'm excited to see my athletes shove and go through adversity. You know, we lost Jada the first game of the year i believe and nobody thought that the the, the chip was going to be one and it happened and rain was the mvp uh, rain somebody who's been with me for three years and avani who i just recently got this pass off season she was just named the defensive player of the year for nepsack i don't know if i told you that no i don't believe you did so that's pretty cool so point being is if you're trying to be self-employed you better not have a problem with working on a Sunday from, and then I was working before that and I worked all day Saturday. I worked all day Sunday. I've worked. Then I went into Monday and I worked. I am, I'm like 12 days straight into working. So if you, if you're somebody that needs your Saturday is off, I mean, I guess you could, every, every job is different, but we're only talking about the time that I'm coaching athletes or going to their games. Then there's my whole back end is filled with social media, podcasts, scheduling, billing. Um, I'm my whole day is filled up. I still work. I work 60 hours a week, but the difference is I love my job and some of it is super annoying, but most of it isn't. And I don't mind working 60 hours a week because I get to work when I want to. Sometimes I have to work when I don't want to, but ultimately I can decide if I don't want to. But, and it's not, it doesn't, it's cool work. It's like being an NFL agent and you go to the Super Bowl because your kids, your athletes in the Super Bowl. In keeping with our phone conversation spirit of our, of our podcast, I guess, our question of the week this week uh, something going back to our last podcast that actually intrigued me a little bit. This is a, a personal question. Uh, we had mentioned in the previous episode about steroids, how Ned had 
started doing jumping, more jumping with his athletes because it helped increase their speed. And that intrigued me. Uh, I wanted to know why does jumping help with increasing speed? Uh, so jumping, depending on what you're doing, but assuming you're doing plyometrics, which is the use of a stretch shortening cycle. Um, well, number one, so in the past two years, uh, I started doing a lot more jumping, whether it's lateral bounding, linear, um, single leg, higher level, higher threshold type things. My vert. So typically my vert increases. If somebody comes in for three months is, uh, two inches. So you come in, you train for three months you do the system, I mean, you just, everybody gets a two-inch jump. And now, ever since I've switched over in the past two years, just by adding various things within the system, now everybody is jumping four inches higher. So vertical jump is a measure of power output. Obviously, if you were jumping 120 inches, which is 10 feet, and then you jump 124, uh, 124 inches, and when we work this two, this two plus four increase, a lot of these kids, most of the kids are, so the last three kids that came through, they all have gained 20 pounds in their off season for football. They're jumping four inches higher at 20 pounds heavier. So that would be like putting a weight vest on with a 20 pound, 20 pounds of plate vest, and then you jump. So, I mean, they're really, they're jumping, we're getting more increases, but um, and then I saw a correlation with the amount of jumping and what we were getting as far as speed numbers and reduction in 10 and 40 time. And the answer is, you know, jumping and plyometrics, you're training um, the stretch shortening cycle and the, the your Achilles soleus complex. So your Achilles tendon and that soleus and everything in your ankle that is the largest rubber band in your body. And by jumping and training that stretch reflex, what you are doing is you are teaching it to um, uh, absorb for more force and, and you're teaching it how to redirect force quicker and, and more explosive. So when you look at speed, um, power is a component of speed. So the more force that I could generate um and involuntary contractions rubber bands and we're teaching our we want our athletes to move involuntarily through rubber bands and these rubber bands are in your mainly your calf some in your hip and these training these rubber bands makes you a lot more elastic to produce more force you produce more force that's going to lengthen your stride out so you're going to increase your stride length so you're going to cover more ground um through taking less steps so being elastic and jumping trains these this stretch reflex which is going to allow you to spend more time in the air less time on the ground you take you cover more ground taking less steps therefore you become faster so it's important jumping is important but it's also not only jumping but jumping the right way using you know triple or double extension and hip extension we teach our athletes to use the glutes and the hamstrings to produce power along with the quads. Um, so just clicking on a sponsored ad with the three ways to be more explosive or faster when they're doing those crazy, ridiculous level 27 plyos with the super athletic guy, uh, that's all the shit you shouldn't be doing because you're going to hurt yourself. That's why you need a professional to take you through the appropriate uh plyometric or progression for you so you do it safely um 
and not the dangerous shit that they're doing in their basement. And all the people, oh, you can get, they're teaching you how to get faster, bro. You're in your, you're in your bedroom, so you don't have to run to get faster. You just have to jump. You just have to jump over a cone or shit and jump on your bed and you're gonna get faster. Well, why the hell don't I just work out of my, my, my room? I'll tell all the kids go to your room and we're just gonna and we'll get faster. I would do that. I'd sign up for that. Yeah. Other than that, I think it's going to wrap up this podcast for us. Uh, in conclusion, working for the man usually sucks, but it's something that you have to do in order to go out on your own and conquer the world in whatever uh, business venture you decide to do. So thanks for tuning in. It's the NES Experience. <laughs>